This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. This time on the Out of Water podcast, we're bringing you part of a message from Pastor Sam Kastensmith in his series, The Miracle Behind the Miracles. In this episode, Sam will be walking through some of the Bible's greatest miracles, the creation, the flood, the parting of the Red Sea, Joshua's crossing of the Jordan, and the story of Jonah. What do all of these miracles have in common? Each of them heralds a new beginning for God's people and foreshadows the ministry of Jesus and his baptism in the Jordan River. Let's go to the Ingram Center Theater at Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Sam Kastensmith. When God comes and validates his ministry, when it's launched, it's launched through a baptism, which is what we're going to talk about next, which is just amazing. It's awesome. But this is literally where heaven pierces this earth and opens up the heavens and comes down upon Jesus and says, you ready? It's go time. Heaven is invading. We're reclaiming this place. This is mission. So let's go to the very beginning, and I want you to see the pattern of God, because this is just cool. His nature's so good, guys. You start in Genesis 1, and you think, okay, you know, most skeptics look at Genesis 1, and they're like, what's this about? And it starts, and it says, the earth was formless and empty. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And I want you to stop for a moment there. Because usually when we think about the creation of God, in our mind we go, he just created it and it was all good. No. This verse tells you different, right? He creates it and it's formless and it's empty and darkness is over the deep waters and God does not want it to land there. Why did he create it that way then? Why not just say, exist as I want you to finally exist? Because he's about to teach us something. Something really cool. And what I love in this, and I want you to get this, The Spirit's hovering, right? Literally fluttering. It's just waiting. It's waiting. It's waiting. What's it waiting on? And God said, let there be light. Boom! There's light. And what happens? God takes the light and he separates the light from the darkness. And he creates evening and morning the first day. Then he goes to work on day two. And God said, boom! And the Spirit goes to work. And he's creating the sky and the seas and this separation that you see here. Now we can go, so day one, the light bursts into the waters, right? Day two, what does he do? He creates the sky and the sea. Then day three, you get land emerging and the first sign of organic life. And I want to stop there. If you've heard me say, this is so cool, guys. In the Bible, what does darkness always, always, always represent? Evil. Sin. This is no good. In the Bible, what do waters represent? It's death. Do you know that when you're baptized, when in Romans 6, you know what Paul says? That when you go down into the waters, it's like a burial. It's when you come out of the waters. Sorry, Presbyterian sprinklers, but anyway, whatever. <clears throat> it's when you come out of the waters. That's your resurrection, right? Waters, always death. So let's fast forward. When you get to, don't go yet, but when you get to Genesis 7 and you get the flood, what do those waters bring? The waters bring death to the enemies of God and life to the people of God. They're delivered through it. When you get to the Red Sea, gee, this sounds familiar, life for the people of God 
death for the enemies of God. Jonah, when he's running away from God, and he, they say, he says, throw me into the waters, and he goes down deep, and he's praying from the belly of the fish. What does he say? I'm in Sheol. What is Sheol? It's the grave. You have David praying in the psalm, save me from deep water. Still to this day, we say, oh, I'm in deep. Trouble, judgment, death, right? Isaiah says that God will walk with us through the waters, and they will not sweep over us, right? Death, waters. And so now I want you to stop And just hear how cool our God is. From the beginning, before he's even made Adam, this is what he does. On day one, I'm taking down the darkness. And on days two and three, I'm dealing with the judgment. And on the third day, life emerges from the ground. What do you hear in that? Our God overcomes the emblems of sin and judgment, and three days life emerges. Hmm. And the Spirit hovering over those waters, right? So then God, like, right, He makes man, everything is wonderful. He makes Adam and Eve, and He's dwelling with them, and then they sin. And you know the first time it ever talks about somebody being in pain in the Scriptures? You know who it is? God. In chapter 6, it says, And His heart was filled with pain. It's like he's saying, uh, what did I do? I so wanted to be in relationship with you, and you've chosen to go your own way. You've chosen to sit on the throne. You've, you've, you've made a mess. Look at all the pain and injustice and wickedness that's running all over the world. I gave you this perfect beginning, and you've squandered it. And you know what he does? He gives them a new beginning with a judgment and waters. Noah, right? And in the story of Noah, so here's, here's that. What do you see in the story of Noah? What's a dove represent in the scriptures, by the way? The Holy Spirit. So here, in this new beginning, what do you find? You find waters again, now covering the earth again. And what happens? Noah's in the ark for all these days, right? And he's wondering, am I going to be delivered? Am I going to be delivered? He sends out a raven, which incidentally becomes the emblem of death all over the world. Never comes back. Hopeless, right? Then he sends out a dove. It comes back empty-handed. He sends it out a third time. Interesting. And it comes back. And what does it have? An olive branch, which then becomes a symbol of peace all over the world. Peace with God, right? So the dove, the emblem of the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Hmm. Here we go again. And it's announcing what? How did he find that olive branch? Dry land has emerged from the waters. It's a new beginning. Noah's going to get out. He's got these sons, right? And it's, it's telling you, God repeats to him the same thing he repeated to Adam and Eve. Hey, be fruitful, multiply. I want you to subdue the earth, have dominion over it. All the same things. Adam fell by eating from the tree. Noah is going to fall by drinking the fruit, right? And he gets naked and passes out, and his son comes and covers it, and he's in shame. But what does it say? Hear this, but God remembered, now who is this deliverer? God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind. You know what the word in Hebrew is for wind? Ruach. It's the same word for spirit. A ruach, right? 
a ruach comes and blows over the surface of the earth on all over the waters and the water subsided. He waits seven days and he sends forth a dove from the ark and the dove came back to him in the evening and behold in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf so no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And this is, this is something that's just cool. You know what? The only time that Jesus ever mentions Noah comes in Matthew when he's giving his sermon from the Mount of Olives. You know what he's talking about? The end of the age when the judgment is coming what it's going to be like. Do you know the sign before the rainbow, the first sign that Noah had been saved was that olive branch from the judgment of the world, right? This is the worldwide judgment. And the end of it is announced by an olive branch. And our Savior goes to the Mount of Olives in his last sermon before he will die. And what is he surrounded with? Olive branches. Peace is coming to those who are with him. It's beautiful. So then you, you fast forward a little bit more and you get to Moses and they've messed it up again and God calls to himself his own people and, and you get to the, to the Red Sea and here you have a new, so it's constantly a new beginning, a new beginning with Adam. You have a new, you have a new beginning of creation, new beginning with Adam, a new beginning at the Red Sea. Now a new beginning for Israel. And listen to the way that this is described. When after the Passover, the Israelites run away from Pharaoh, right? They're, they're bailing. They get to the Red Sea and now they're stuck. They got mountains on either side. They're totally stuck. And now Pharaoh's army comes from behind them. And it's dark. What are the big obstacles? Darkness and waters. What's coming through your mind? Now listen to this passage. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud also, and stood behind them, and coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. That's just he's a defender, right? But listen to what it says. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. You picking up what I'm laying down? Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, ruach. And it turned to dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground and a, with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. There's so much more to this passage, but I'll just stick with the creation element. What do you see here? God comes to them in a pillar of light. He himself is the let there be light. And what does he do? He brings light to one side, darkness to the other. What, what do you, he separates light from darkness. What do you hear there? The Ruach is over the waters again. Dry land emerges. And his people have a sanctuary. There it is. There's your hope. Go. This is a new beginning. You're a new nation. I am defending you. And he's retelling creation again. The creation of light. The separation of light from darkness. The emergence of dry land. The Ruach over the waters again. There's no accidental, there's no accidental verses in Scripture. It's amazing. And so then you jump forward and say, okay, well, Moses led them out, but then they kind of chickened out and they, you know, didn't have faith that God would deliver them into the promised land. And so they get stuck again. And so God raises up who after Moses? Joshua, right? And so Joshua, he, God comes to Moses and says, man, I love you, bud. But Joshua is going to be the one who leads them into the promised land. And all the generation who doubted me are not going to see the promised land. So Joshua takes all these younger men who've been circumcised, and what happens? They're on the other side of the Jordan River at a place called Bethabara. 
And God comes to Joshua to give him the plan. He says this, At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. What's the Ark of the Covenant? What's, what is so special about it? This is, this is the entity that was placed into the tabernacle and it housed the Ten Commandments and the jar of manna to show God's faithfulness and Aaron's rod, right? All that is in the Ark of the Covenant and on top of it is the cherubim and in between is where you would sprinkle the blood for forgiveness of sins and what dwelled between the cherubim? The glory of God. The mercy seat. This is where the Spirit of God dwelled with His people. You couldn't touch this thing, Right? And so listen to this story. Tell me if this starts sounding familiar. And by the way, the Ark of the Covenant, the dwelling place of the glory of God, is being carried by Levites, priests. And he says, Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel. Now I'll stop here. Do you know where they're at? It's Bethabara. Guess where Jesus is baptized? Take a guess. Bethabara. So here it is. God is saying to Joshua, who incidentally, what does that name mean? Jesus, Yeshua. Whoa. Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel. Gee, what what happened with Jesus when he was baptized? What was the point of that? It was God saying, today I'm going to launch your ministry. Get ready, world, because here he comes and I'm commissioning him and he's coming. He's coming to throw this world right side up. That's the day that his anointing falls on him, right? And so as the Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel so that they may know that as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And listen to this. As soon as the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, the water split. They pile up as far as the city of Adam, way to the north, to give room for all the Israelites to go through the Jordan without being ambushed. What do you hear in this? And I want you to lock some of this away, okay? They come to this obstacle of water. God says today, at the end of the three days, by the way, the water, the emblem of death, is not going to put an end to you anymore. I want you, the priest, the Levites, to carry the Ark of the Covenant, the dwelling place of God, and the moment it gets over the waters, watch what I do. So here you have the Spirit of God going over the waters again, carried by the priests, the Levites, and bam. And what does that announce? What happens when they get to the other side? This is the inauguration of the kingdom of God in the land, finally. The promise given to Abraham so many years ago, they're back. Just as he promised Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And here comes the kingdom of God reigning. So then you get to Jonah. This is just an interesting one. New beginnings. You get to Jonah and it says, The Lord hurled a great wind. There it is. Ruach upon the sea. So there you have Ruach on the sea again. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ships threatened to break up. And the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And Jonah, what do you think the name Jonah means in Hebrew? Anybody know? Just happens to be dove. And because of his sin, right, all of his shipmates are in jeopardy. All of them are under the sentence of God. The ship goes down, they all go down. And here the prophet of God, who's in rebellion, he's not, he's not a Jesus, he's, he's got some mess to him. But the prophet of God, the one representative, is thrown into the emblem of death. 
and what happens? The judgment that's upon everyone else, and he goes down into the sea for how long? For three days, three nights, and then he's spit up onto the land, and God brings a new beginning to the Gentiles, the wicked Gentiles of Nineveh. Interesting patterns, all this. Doves and waters and new beginnings and God doing these miracles, like the greatest miracles. What do they all do? It's, it's not the what, it's not the how, it's not the when or the where, it's the why. What, is all the, what are all those miracles pointing to? They're pointing to him. What's going to happen at his baptism? John has been out in the wilderness. He's been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is about to inaugurate his kingdom and this time it's not going to fail. And so, what, by the way, what tribe does John come from? Anybody remember? He's a Levite. Interesting. So, a Levite is once again at Bethabara on the shores of the waters. This is the priestly tribe, right? Jesus comes to him. I need to be baptized. Are you kidding me? I, I need to be baptized by you. Like, and Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I need to be baptized. What does my baptism represent? My baptism represents the fulfillment of all righteousness. John, the Levite. Remember what happened with the Levites? They carried the Ark of the Covenant, the dwelling place of the glory of God, and the the river Jordan parts, and all of Israel is shown the way into the promised land. Now you have the Levite who's holding God in the flesh. And the moment they come into the waters and Jesus goes down into the waters, it's not the Jordan that parts. It's the heavens. And the Spirit comes down. How? As a dove. This is a new creation. This this is the worldwide deliverance of judgment. This is God delivering us from slavery in the land of death and delivering us into the promised land. And the one who is going to be sacrificed and thrown overboard to bring everybody else peace. All the stories now make sense. They converge on him. Their purpose did not get accomplished finally. But now the son of God who loves you beyond measure has come into this world to accomplish it perfectly. He's not going to fail. The promised land is open now. Your slavery is gone forever. Death has no hold on you. This new creation, this new garden paradise that is set up and kept for us is not going to fail. Why? Because when Jesus steps into those waters and he descends into the waters and he emerges again, what is he saying? Why, were you, why was anyone baptized for the forgiveness of sins? And John the Baptist is looking at him going, you're the son of, you're the son of behold, the Lamb of God. You're, you're the one. You have no sins. Why in the world would Jesus be baptized when baptism represented a repentance for sin? In that moment, he's saying, this is the whole point of my ministry. I am choosing to relate and replace my people. I will take their sin. I will be the one who's plunged into the depths of the grave. And I will be the one who emerges with life to fulfill all righteousness. And all those miracles, the why behind all those miracles, 
suddenly just go boom. And God is saying, it's on. It's game time, my people. Get ready. The kingdom of heaven is advancing into this world. Do we believe it? Our Lord has come into this world at extreme, infinite cost to himself. He has laid it all onto the table for us. And yet, by his grace, he is choosing to call us to further his mission. And he doesn't leave us to do it in our own strength. The, the, the spirit, right? The spirit that from the beginning of creation is just hovering, right? Just hovering, waiting. Give me the word. Give me the word. Give me the word. Man, and when God says move, boom, he does amazing things. That spirit dwells in us. I want to close with just one sample of a miracle that he does just because I love it. You know this story, the, this guy's a paralytic. He's been paralyzed for a long time and has four friends, right? He can't do anything. He's stuck. He's paralyzed. It's not like he can go, hey, I want to go see Jesus. Like he's stuck. His four friends have enough compassion to him that they know the only way that this guy gets healed is if we get involved. Let's go pick him up and take him to the only one who can heal him. And they get to this house and it's too crowded. They can't get in. And so what do they do? They say, ah, bummer. Let's go home. Oh man, these guys will stop at nothing to take the one they love to bring him to Jesus. Do you hear that? Boldness. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring my loved ones into the presence of Jesus because I know he's the only one who can heal them. And what do they do? They have to go up onto the roof. And in the ancient world, when they, when they covered a roof, there was timbers and then they would put like clay mud and then you'd have grass growing up there. And so I want you to imagine this scene with me. Here you have these four men with this guy that's totally limp, paralyzed, can't do anything. And what do they have to do? Dig. They dig. They dig. They dig until the hole is big enough. They've dug through the grass and mud and earth and dirt, and they each take a corner of him. They lower this paralytic guy down to Jesus. You know what that looks like? You know the purpose of what it's supposed to look like? That is the saddest moment of any funeral. It's the one that just rips your guts out, right? Ah, when you lower the coffin down into the ground and you've got to say your final goodbye, it rips your guts out. The beauty of this story is these guys are, are digging, right? They're digging. They're going to they're gonna put them into the earth. They lower them down. And who's down there? The one who raises the dead. The next time you go to a funeral where you have to lower a loved one down into the earth, you're not lowering them down to despair and hopelessness. And Christ you're lowering them down into an inheritance that is kept for them. An imperishable hope that never fades and cannot be defiled. And the Lord meets his people in the grave. He's conquered it for them. This is the point of the miracles. It's to show his beauty and his love and his compassion for us. And I want, I pray that God would give each of us that boldness to be like those four friends that would stop at nothing to bring those we love into the presence of the only one who can heal them. The only one who brings new beginnings, who is vested with every ounce of power and authority from God the Father and who delights 
and our prayers and our requests and is just eager. Spirit's just waiting. Unleash that power. Let him use you. He'll do amazing things. Thanks, Sam. And thank you, friend, for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed what you hear, please subscribe and give us a good rating so that other people can find Out of Water also. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.